your son to come and make me brown so I can be someone.
welcome to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard, and that was Elvis Orbison and watching Rainbows. I've got Brett Lydar here today. Brett's behind Elvis Orbison, and if you haven't been seeing YouTube recently, Brett has been going viral on some absolutely sensational videos on YouTube, and I think the concept is so fascinating and exciting here where Brett's taking fragments of Beatles material in that Get Back era and creating new songs and or expanding on them. And the first song that we played is Brett's version of Watching Rainbows, which I think is sensational. A huge welcome, Brett. Thank you so much. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. I've tried to encapsulate it in a nutshell, but maybe you can expand on that. Well, there's a lot to unpack. In 1969, as many fans know now that Peter Jackson has put out his docuseries, Mm. the Beatles assembled in January of 1969 to prepare for their next album, which was this ambitious project. They were going to perform a batch of all new songs, and they were going to do it live, and they were going to make a documentary or a TV show, and they were going to do all these things at once, and they were going to do it all in three weeks, which, of course, seems like an impossible task. But, you know, that is the audacity of greatness, isn't it? Yeah. And in the end, it did end up being the correct decision because now we have this wonderful docuseries. At the time, though, in 1969, they just uh, put these tapes on a shelf. And then about three years after that, the tapes were stolen. And they went missing for about 30 years until there was an intercontinental police sting that recovered the tapes, but not before all 150 hours were leaked onto the internet. And that's where I come in. Like a lot of mega Beatle fans, you know, we started listening to these recordings like podcasts. And um, I heard all of the songs that we're familiar with, but I also started listening to the non-moments, you know, when they were off having a break or having some tea, or maybe when they thought the cameras perhaps weren't rolling. Yeah. And so that's where this project started. It started by just sort of assembling all of these little non-moments. And I became fascinated with them because there's so much extraneous noise. There are so many things happening. One member of the band might be tuning and somebody's singing a song 20 feet away from the boom mics. You can barely hear it. And their, you know, their current state on the Nagra tapes is they're kind of just buried under there. And it's hard to really understand just how beautiful they are. I thought, what would happen if we just took all of these unfinished moments and rare songs that just ended up on the cutting room floor, laid them out on a piano, just so that we could hear what the intent was. And when I did that, I was elated because I was hearing this Beatles song that no one had heard before. And then it just became this passion, like, okay, well, let's go find all of them. And uh, from that point on, it's just been a seven-year process of just recording these songs and just finding ways to try to make them work and to try to establish proof of concept that these weren't just these throwaways that weren't worth anybody's attention. These are the sketches of some of the greatest songwriters of the 20th century. And we should take a look at what they're doing here because they're of interest. And so now the goal is to try to encourage other people, other artists to present their interpretations of these unfinished works. The first trap being uh, watching Rainbows, which I think was a, a Lennon fragment. And it feels to me a little bit of I've got a feeling style, but I love what you've done in the arrangement. 
Well, watching rainbows is an unfinished improvisation. And so throwing it up on the canvas, there were a lot of areas that we needed to fill up. The problem is, is that, you know, you're talking about the Beatles. So what I didn't want to do was write new parts because I feel like this is sacred ground. And it's also a slippery slope. So the goal here was to try to use all original DNA from the Beatles and then just think of these as arrangements of those ideas that do already exist. And so with watching Rainbows, it became this repository for all of these little fragments that shared similar tempos and chord structures. And, you know, what I found were a couple of wonderful improvisations that Paul McCartney had written. There was an actual bridge for I've Got a Feeling that he never used. And then there were these other moments where John Lennon was improvising lyrics then it was just a question of just massaging all these ideas that the Beatles just never really did anything with, but we get to hear them clearly and all in one place. We're predominantly uh, featuring uh, the Elvis Orbison material here today, with a few exceptions. The next also being uh, one of yours. Mm. This time we've got a George Harrison song, Window, Window, a bit of an older one, maybe around the revolver time when he was getting married to Patty Boyd. Mm. But as the band did do, as we all know, is that they went back into their song catalogue and fragment and ideas and tested everything out to see what would work. And, and this being one of the things that uh, George tried out. Sure. Um, Window Windows was notable because it's one of the more completed songs that turned up on the Get Back Sessions. It finally was officially released by George Harrison on the All Things Must Pass box set. And it's a lovely demo that he recorded uh, for, I think, Phil Spector. And if you listen to the preamble of the demo where he's talking to Phil Spector, he says, here's a kind of a silly one, Phil. Yeah. I, on the other hand, I really like the melody of the song and I really like the flow of it. And I thought about that lovely pedal steel guitar that George Harrison uses in All Things Must Pass. Now, I know that that is something that probably wouldn't have happened during the get back sessions. But at the same time, it was just one of those moments where really this is, you know, that instrument really suits the song. So we're going to go with that. And my head and my 
on to our mm. next track the thing that i also like about almost beatles songs channel is how you present the story of, of the uh material one of those songs is woman the paul mccartney song that became a hit by peter and gordon and i wasn't familiar with the paul mccartney on drums version that came out when when that acetate was found yes when did you become aware of paul playing drums on on that acetate and why you wanted to highlight it on your youtube channel well, I didn't even know about the song Woman until I started listening to the Get Back tapes. And there's that famous moment, right? Where Paul's like, I wonder if Peter's got the original thing of that. And so that's what led me to the Peter and Gordon version that um, was officially released. And from that point on, it was just doing uh, the occasional web search. And then I happened across this auction that discussed in detail the existence of this acetate. However, I only discovered that it went to auction just a couple of years ago. 
So then it became this search to try to find it because yes, it had gone up for auction, but where did it live? Mm. And then finally, I don't know how I happened across this, but Gordon, somebody posthumously put out a digital album of his and buried in that album is the complete original acetate of Peter and Gordon's original version of Woman. We did a much better one the very first time we ever did it. And it was very dry, just little, with like about eight violins. Lennon song, Child of Nature, that we all know as Jealous Guy. Sure. Only until sort of the last decade or so has the Child of Nature version become greater heard, isn't it? Well, Child of Nature, I'm sure you know that it was a bootleg that had been circulating for quite a long time. 
And then the Beatles did finally officially release it on the White Album deluxe version. It sat around for a couple of years so that when he finally did get back to it and start writing lyrics for Jealous Guy, it became this other thing that is just so beautiful and so lovely, but it wasn't what it was in 68. So what would it have sounded like if the Beatles had moved forward on this song right around that time when they were recording some of these more spiritual, very earthy songs? So you decided to take Child of Nature and then bring it out into more Beatles form in terms of its arrangement, didn't you? Yes. I'm so fortunate because I live just a few miles away from a wonderful musician named Paul Livingston who plays sitar. As a matter of fact, Paul studied with Ravi Shankar. And so he had the perfect pedigree to sit down and perform uh, this instrumental break for Child of Nature. And I think it just works so beautifully and allows the listener to, to imagine what it might have sounded like if the Beatles had approached it in 1968. Do you have anything more that you're writing? Mm, yes, well, I've, I've got On the Road to Marrakesh, mm. which is a sweet number, baby. Sweet, sweet number. number. Sunlight shining in my eyes As I face the desert sky
Paul McCartney and the song Suicide and that's a song that originates to the 1950s for Paul and was one of the songs a bit like When I'm 64 that or even Catcall that that he would come back to in those sessions again. Yes once again it was just we were collecting all of these unfinished Beatles songs and just putting them in a basket and then there was this song that Paul started singing. Yeah. You know the thing about suicide is that you can hear John Lennon jumping right in there with him. Oh my gosh. You know, John is intimately familiar with this song. It sounds like he's, he knows it like the back of his hand. Yeah. And now we know why, because, you know, it was written in early pre Beatles. And I think it finally did come out as a bonus track on McCartney's deluxe version of his solo album. But even that I felt like didn't really do it justice because, you know, there's, there's so much going on there, especially with that, that middle break. I have to thank our just wonderful piano player, Michael Feldman, for really taking that moment to the next level. And it gave us the opportunity to create something I think really special here. And in my mind, I was like, oh, this could have been a White Album track. Did you ever hear the story behind him pitching it to Sinatra? It's worth recalling it because I don't think everyone will be familiar with it. Well, I had read that Paul McCartney 
commissioned a Marvel Comics artist to render a likeness of both him and Frank Sinatra. And uh, he sent Sinatra this painting along with a demo of Suicide and said, hey, would you like to cover this song? And um, the legend is, is that Sinatra thought he was, he was joking, you know, that it wasn't worthy. I, however, think that it is worthy. I, I really enjoyed the song. And, and Michael Feldman, the amazing piano player on our version, it, that's his favorite song of all the Almost Beatles songs. So we have another Paul McCartney track now and your version. And, and for me, this is one of the 
the most touching pieces from the first album that you released with almost Beatles songs. And this is labeled Paul's piano piece. And mm. this is an interesting thing where you've got Paul at the piano starting to craft melodies or themes. How do you approach trying to expand that fragment there? Right. Well, I should mention that once again, it starts at the Get Back tapes. That piece of music is how the original Let It Be movie starts. Paul's sitting down at the piano, he's playing this piece of music. But if you listen to the the actual Get Back recordings, he keeps coming back to that piece of music a few times. And each version is a little bit different. And so we gathered together all of these different versions and asked Orlando Perez Rosso and Pablo Crociere if they wouldn't mind scoring something for us.
one of the other almost Beatles songs videos is about the story of Panina, mm. which is remarkable. And you've got a clip of the gentleman who I think was the lead vocalist on that. Did you actually reach out to him and and get his input for your video? Yes, that's that's exactly how it came about. It took several years for me to find him because he's of an older generation that doesn't really jump onto social media. My wife is an acupuncturist and she had a patient who speaks Portuguese and she was able to track down Carlos. And it wasn't long before I was uh, having a Zoom conference with Carlos. And I was so honored because he's just such a charming man. And he told me the story of Panina, and he revealed to me that he had never told this story to anyone before. Even when it was a big thing in 1968, 69, when this happened, you know, the press, they they made inquiries and he didn't speak with any of them. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, he's telling me his story and then he kind of casually mentions that he wouldn't have got involved in the music industry if he hadn't met Paul. And, and I thought like, oh my gosh, wow! you're the president of Sony in Portugal. And you're telling me that if had that one moment not happened, then you'd be off being an engineer somewhere. That's beautiful. And in a nutshell, the scenario is Paul McCartney's on holiday in Portugal. He's had a few drinks. He plays with the band in the hotel, gives them a song off a fragment of a song, which then they record and then release. And it labeled a, a Paul McCartney track. There is a compilation that encapsulates many of these songs that songs the Beatles gave away, and it's always featured on there, but has always been different to the, the Liverpool-related stuff that's on there. It is very much an, an oddment and isn't a story that is that well-known. Right. Well, you know, I think over here in America, we didn't have that record. So whenever we obtained a copy of it, it was really special. And you're right. Mostly it focused on all of these early songs from the, you know, the mop top years. And I'm glad you brought that up because I want to say that for me, once the Beatles hit their stride at 1965, that's when things really got interesting. And so almost Beatles songs is an attempt to try to focus on that later material. I gave a song to this group where I sort of turned up in Portugal, pissed out of school one night and wanted some drink in this hotel, you know, about 12, and I sat in on drums and, and they said, give us a song, you know, so I said, okay. A, F, S, I've been to Albufeira, had a few drinks there, but I know that when I don't care. And it was called La Panina, which is the name of the hotel, you know. La Panina, La Panina. And they were all digging and singing along, and it was good, you know, it was, it was one of those, it was right.
So you mentioned your album, Almost Beatles Songs, Volume 1, and, and this is a track off that, and it's Finger Me Bob stroke Maureen, which is a really nice way of putting two songs together, one of which was Maureen, which is just a wonderful George Harrison fragment from those sessions with the instrumental Finger Me Bob, the Paul McCartney song. Well, Maureen is actually one of the more incredible stories. Once again, I'm listening to the Get Back tapes and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, another unreleased Beatles song, a George Harrison song where he's singing about Maureen, who is probably Ringo's wife. Okay. Yeah. But I'm listening to the preamble before it and I could swear he's saying, here's a song Bob Dylan wrote. And so I'm searching the web and nowhere am I finding any evidence of a Bob Dylan song called Maureen. So then I circle back to the tapes and I'm listening closer and now I'm hearing new things and I'm hearing him say, here's a song Bob Dylan wrote. It was just thingamabob, but it turned into this. So immediately I went to the Paul McCartney song thingamabob that he had composed for a British television show called thingamabob. Uh -huh. And I put the two together right next to each other. And at first glance, they don't make any sense. But if you slow the tempo and the key down of Thingamabob, it overlays perfectly. We also know that six weeks earlier, George Harrison spent three days with Bob Dylan at his house in Woodstock. Yeah. And for that Thanksgiving weekend, it is a known fact that George Harrison and Bob Dylan played music all weekend long. So what that leads me to believe, some people don't agree with me, but I suspect that George Harrison played Bob Dylan this instrumental piece of music and Bob Dylan improvised lyrics on top of it. George Harrison then came back to the rehearsals a few weeks later and played it for his bandmates saying, here's a song Bob Dylan wrote. It was Thingamabob, but it turned into this. And if that is accurate, then what we have is the only known collaboration between Bob Dylan and the Beatles. How those 
So now we have another George Harrison track, mm. Rambling Woman. I think there might be a bit of a Dylan link here in this one. But what I wanted to ask you about, as well as covering the backstory about that, is maybe talking about how you built on that song. It kind of starts out relatively close to what George Harrison set out, but then you've got that way that that song builds. This is a wonderful book written by Doug Selpy and Ray Schweigart. It's called Drugs, Divorce, and a Slipping Image. And these guys took the time to document every single moment that exists on those Get Back tapes. And so I'm flipping through this book, and I'm coming across this unreleased Beatles song called Ramblin' Woman that I've never heard before. And what's interesting about this also is that they identified a second instrumental piece of music that shares similarities to Rambling Woman, and um, they gave it a nickname called It Is Discovered. They made a suggestion that perhaps this was a bridge section for Ramblin' Woman. And so what we've done here is taken Mr. Sulpey and Mr. Schweigart's, Schweig, I think it's Schweigart probably, I don't know. Uh, we've taken Mr. Sulpey and Mr. Schweigart's um, hypothesis and tried to realize that in our version of the song. But to answer your question, I personally was hearing a much slower version of it. Right. But then when I started playing it to people, it was like a six minute song and it just, you know, the ideas were too repetitive. Yeah. So then we tried to record a faster version of it. But even that had the same problem where like at three and a half minutes, it was just too long. Yeah. And so straight out of the Beatles playbook, we took half of the fast version and connected it with the back end of the slow version. And now I think it works quite nicely. This is roll 101, slate 190, camera A.
close i thought it'd be worth talking about one of the newest videos and i think this is a bit of a revelation really it highlights a brilliant george harrison song that is little known and you bring that out in your own version and the song is how do you tell someone isn't it wonderful you were mentioning about george and the mysticism and and this starts to bring that out you've got almost a little bit of blue jay way uh i'd consider that but yes when you listen to the original recording of it on the Get Back tapes, which I would like to say, as far as I know, is the only known recording of that song anywhere. The problem, like with so many other songs from the Get Back sessions, is that there are all of these other variables that get in the way of what we should be hearing. You know, for example, George has a, an effect on his guitar, a Leslie guitar. He's running his guitar through a Leslie speaker, and that all by itself makes it really difficult to understand what he's playing. And so when I first heard How Do You Tell Someone, I just didn't understand it. But then I did circle back to it. And once again, just as is always the process, once I sat down at the piano and just mapped out the parts and mapped out what he was doing, mm -hmm. I thought, oh my gosh, here is yet another almost Beatles song. And I want to circle back to the Get Back tapes one more time because what strikes me about that recording is how Ringo is approaching the song. He's going to 1965, 1966, Rubber Soul, If I Needed Someone, um, Think For Yourself, which we've gotten a lot of comments. Everybody seems to agree. But I think that the reason we think that is because that's how Ringo heard it. That's just where he went with it. But once we just laid out that descending pattern on a timeline and then set a tempo to it that gave it a little bit more space, everything came into focus. Before we go, that's a, a nice link into talking about the future as well. Before I forget, it, it's worth talking about Almost Beatles Songs Volume 1. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be more videos coming out, and also you, you'll be planning further of your own music building on some of those um, fragments. Well, yeah, we already have Volume 2 and Volume 3 in the can. So Volume 1 is an official release. All the rights are paid for. It's all perfectly legit. Volume 2 is a separate basket of songs yeah. that remain unpublished to this day. And I think the plan right now is to release a mixtape. From there, I would love to see almost Beatles songs go legit. I envision live shows where new artists interpret these abandoned works. I envision a docuseries. There is so much good information there. 
that could usher in the next chapter of the Beatles' legacy. And I want to make a case, you know, that there's still so much more to do and, and there's an opportunity here for the world to fall in love with the Beatles again. Marvelous. What a fitting way to end. Thank you. Thank you so much. for listening to the strange brew podcast if you do like the show please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online it's 10 years since i started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time all your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests to 
to support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.